Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast, episode 001. I'm your host, Ryan Sir, and with me is my good friend, but better enemy, Don Helbig. How you doing, Don? You know, I'm doing great, Ryan. You know, we talked about this for a long time, and, uh, you know, it's great to finally get it off the ground. Yeah, it's very exciting. We've been working on conceptualizing and working on this podcast for many months now, and here's the day when we're recording episode one, so that's really exciting. So uh, let's talk about a little bit uh, about how this podcast came to be. So uh, our producer, David Detling of the Attractions Group, he approached you about starting a new show, but it wasn't this one. Why don't you tell that story? Yeah, there used to be a show on WW Radio in Cincinnati. It was hosted by Gary Burbank. It was called Sports or Consequences. It was a trivia show. They would throw out questions, and whatever caller got the question right uh, would win a prize. So David uh, obtained the rights to that show, wanted to resurrect it through a podcast. He had reached out to me. He was aware that I had a broadcast background uh, from professional hockey doing play-by-play and wanted to gauge my interest. Uh, you know, I thought about it. I was intrigued by the idea. Uh, the concept, uh, you know, sounded really good. But then, you know, I started thinking about it as a as a show and what Sports or Consequences was requiring people to call in. You really can't do that with a podcast in terms of getting that audience participation. Um, you know, so that part didn't work out. But, uh, you know, started you know, talking, communicating with Dave a little bit more from that point on. Okay. And then, uh, you know, uh, David is uh, an old business partner of mine. I used to own a company called uh, Amusements and Attractions. And uh, he and I did many dealings in the industry, and um, he approached me as well. And obviously, I've known you for a couple decades. Um, <laughs> so um, let's start off with this. Uh, for those of you who don't know you, what, what's your affiliation with the, uh, with the industry? Tell us, tell us about your professional affiliation. You know, you could really say it's about a 40-year association in one way or another uh, with the attractions, the amusement theme park industry. Um, you know, started out as a guest, but got involved in, uh, you know, riding a roller coaster over and over again. Uh, that became a PR angle. Um, uh, so I got, uh, to see really at that point in time, how it worked from both sides of the fence. I was right in the middle, but I got to see from a marketing PR perspective, how they use that, to, to, to create a story, to, um, you know, create awareness. Um, and also from my end, I got to see what the media needed from their end in terms to make this story work. So I got a little bit of an education there, uh, just being right in the middle of it on both sides of the fence to see what each other needed uh, to make those stories work. Uh, and then professionally, you know, started uh, 1990 in professional hockey in a uh, media relations PR role. Uh, I've, over the you know past three decades, I guess you could say, have been involved in virtually every aspect of marketing. I've done the, um, the advertising, I've done the group sales, I've done the, the strategic planning. I've done the PR media relations. You know, I had been a broadcaster. Um, and now, you know, today, there's, there's, you know, so many other things out there with social media and that. So I've I'm pretty well-rounded over the past four decades. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, when I look back on people ask me, you know, what um, do you think your, your best achievement or something, you know, like that is in the industry, you know, what's your, what's your biggest accomplishment? I would say just being able to evolve with the times because so much has changed you know, since I started, when I started, we were writing press releases on a typewriter, mm-hmm. you know, that's how long I've been doing it. So, uh, just being able to evolve, you know, and stay up with the times. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to think about because if you think about, you know, the mid nineties or so when you were involved in hockey, 
um, you know, it was press releases and, uh, you know, the AP press and stuff like that. And now it's tweeting and blogging and stuff like that. And, uh, in many ways it's a lot more work and in many ways, uh, the technology doesn't work for you. So it's, uh, it's cool that you were able to, to keep up with it. Um, so, uh, I guess I, I should probably cover my background so they don't think that you're the only qualified one here, but I've been involved with the industry for, um, oh, almost 20 years now, I would say. Uh, I've worked on many projects uh, within, I've always, I've actually um, never been an employee of an amusement park. I've always been a contract guy. I've always owned my own company or just been done things on the outside. And then, uh, you know, ran a fan site for a couple decades, obviously. And so uh, I, uh, I'm more of a marketing guy than a PR guy. And then you're more of a PR guy than a marketing guy. Um, but, you know, obviously one exposes the other. So uh, if you're interested in marketing or PR, then <laughs> this is uh, this is the podcast for you, my friends. Um, so, Don, do you remember when you first met me? I do. I want to say it was there was a uh, media day event, and I saw two or three of you running around with cameras and just wanted to know who these people, you know, were because that was when it was first starting with uh, a little bit of the non-traditional mm-hmm. uh, media. You know, when you started to have, uh, you know, the websites that started to come in into vogue. And I, I think that's when I first met you. Yeah. So I remember knowing who you were because uh, you worked for the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks hockey team. And uh, I had season tickets and they were about two rows in front of your broadcast booth. So I remember seeing you up there, but I didn't know you. Well, I knew who you were because of, uh, you know, you, you, you're known in the industry and stuff. But yeah, I remember... Um, uh, if you recall that day, it was more, it wasn't so much, they need interviews. It was more like we need warm bodies to fill these rides for the, uh, you know, for the morning shows and so on. And then it rained, it ended up being a really long day. Cause I think we got there at like five or six in the morning and then we left at three or four in the afternoon. Um, but I, I remember like it was such a long day and then you came up to me in, uh, the parking lot and you just, you started talking to me and I was like, I don't because I didn't, I didn't recognize you, and I was like, "Who is this guy?" And then, like, yeah, when I you know worked for the the Cincinnati Gardens, I know who you are. So um, then you uh, then you left town not long after. Um, that, that's that's when you moved to was it Albany from there? Yep, Albany, New York. Yeah, and then uh, so we we stayed in contact. We'd email back and forth a couple times a week, and now you're back, and uh, now we're on a podcast to zip ahead about. 17 years so uh glad to have you here i i appreciate that you uh you decided to take the opportunity to do this podcast especially with me i probably wouldn't have agreed to that but um so uh let's uh, let's dive you know, in here you know ryan when you, you look back though too you know in terms of agreeing to do this is you you get to be you know at my point too that uh you know sometimes you want to try to give something back uh to the industry and that and i think one of the things i want to use this podcast for is to just talk a little bit about my experiences and things and you know just offer some advice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I guess we should clarify the, um, the intention of this podcast, this is not a travel podcast. This is not a leisure podcast for the, for the most part, this is an educational podcast. That's going to be talking about, uh, the actual inner workings of the industry, you know, how to be the most possible, uh, successful person in a role where PR and marketing is very different now than it was five years ago. Um, and uh, uh, one of the goals that especially Don has is that we are uh, going to try to give you the tools for what's necessary to be successful if you are a recent college graduate or going into college or uh, anybody who wants to make a career out of the industry. 
we want to talk about what's what's necessary for that and what gives you the best possibilities for that. Okay, so uh, uh, the format of this show, uh, and we are still playing with the format now, as I stated at the top of the episode, this is episode one. Um, so we are going to go into our subject matter now. And the subject matter is something that's very near and dear to Don because this is what everything is based off of that, uh, that they do. And we're going to talk about brand journalism today. Um, we're going to talk about defining brand journalism, how it differs from other types of uh, marketing, as well as um, you know what you need to do to be successful uh, in terms of uh, brand journalism itself. So we're going to talk about that for a while, and then we'll go into uh, the latest news and headlines and uh, do our commentary on that. So, uh, all right. So uh, brand journalism, Don, as a seasoned communication pro, what advice would you give a recent graduate looking to land their first PR job in the attractions industry? You know, I always like to look back on my PR career when I started, and, you know, this is more than 30 years ago, as we you know, talked about earlier. Uh, and I compare it to today's generation of communicators, you know, the kids coming out of college and what they would have to do. Then, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of changes, you know, since I started. Uh, there's more tools to master with all the technology that's out there. Uh, but the one thing that hasn't changed, Ryan, is you have to know how to write. And what I mean by that is you have to learn how to write well. Uh, that's very essential. It was back then. It still is today. You got to be clean, clear, concise um, today. And you have to be brief. You know, today more than ever, you have to be brief with what you're writing. You know, back when we were, when I was starting out, you know, you would have press releases, four or five paragraphs. Now, think about a tweet and how much room you have, how much copy you have. You have to be able to communicate all mm -hmm. that information into a tweet. So you got to be more concise. You have to be brief. Um, you, you can't use a lot of jargon. You know, you, you don't want to use the marketing speak. Uh, you want to write like you talk. That's one of the things that uh, sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling as a writer. I don't know how to do it. Um, I don't know where to start. Don't know where to end. Um, you know, I think you're trying to get too creative, trying to squeeze too many words in there. Just write like you talk. And if you do that, you know, you're going to be okay as a writer. Um, so those are the kind of things that have really changed, you know, over the years. But, uh, you know, just the tools that are available today. You know, like I said, when I started, you had to know how to write well. You still do today. But you also have to master these other tools that are out there, the technology. I mean, there's social media. Everybody knows how to post on social media, but that's not knowing social media. You have to know the inner workings of it and how that channel relates to your to your brand, how you're going to communicate what, when, and where, uh, who's the audience on each different channel. Those are the kind of things you have to know. You have to know the analytics of social media, the analytics of your website. Um, there's the strategy component to it. Uh, so there's a lot involved there that uh, wasn't when I first started. So you have to know all of those things. You have to be great at all of them, but you have to know those things. You also have to know how to edit video. Mm -hmm. That's important. Uh, you don't have to be great at it, but you got to be able to do the basic there. You have to be able to go on camera. Uh, back when I started, you might have had three or four people in the communications department. Each one had a different role. Somebody wrote the press releases. Somebody was the on-camera person. Somebody else was you know, doing this piece of it. But uh, you know, it's a smaller team now, so you have to be able to go on camera if necessary. So you want to practice that, you know, and you have that opportunity to practice that a lot. Uh, so you have to be, you know, comfortable being able to do that. So that's another piece that wasn't there when I first started is going on the camera. Um, but just a lot involved with that that you have to you have to know uh, before you get started today that wasn't there when I first started. When I started, your way of communicating information was you had press releases. You'd follow that up by calling the media or you could just call the media to pitch the story. So those were your you know, first two things. Or you had a press conference. 
that was the way the word got out. Um, but today, uh, there's so many different ways to do it. Uh, and you have your social media channels uh, to be able to communicate that information. You have email. You know, none of that was around uh, you know, back then. So you have to be familiar and be able to use all these different channels uh, to communicate the information that you have to distribute. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Um, one thing that um, that comes to mind that, that I think of when it comes to social media is uh, it's not that different from the real world in a lot of cases. If I wanted to um, if I wanted to tell you, let's say, for example, um, that I'm your 15 year old son and I'm asking you to pick me up from school tomorrow, do I say? Uh, hey, Dad, uh, I know it's 3 a.m. and you're half asleep, but you need to pick me up tomorrow at uh, James A. Garfield High School, which was founded in 1963 due to the, you know, you know, it's, it's, hey, you know, first thing in the morning, you're eating breakfast, you have his attention, Dad, pick me up, you know where to pick me up. It's simple as that, you know, it's very concise, it's mm -hmm. to the point, uh, it's at a time when people are paying attention, and it's, uh, it's, it, it's got to be accurate. You know, so you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, uh, the jargon and stuff, and uh, oftentimes like the sales message, is uh, is something that um, you may have to admit. You know, you 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 can't always have a call to action when it comes to um, uh, when when it comes to these sort of messages. That that's my my thought with that. I mean, you know, hey, we're gonna have um, you know, we're gonna have the Harlem Globetrotters at our park. You know, they're going to be doing shows at two, three and five. Uh, you don't want to, you know, muff that up with. Uh, oh, and, and we're selling season passes, too. You know, if people are interested in that, they know that you're selling season passes. That's the way I thought. Do you have any more thoughts on that, Don? Well, you know, it gets into the we were talking about the brand journals thing at the beginning. But, uh, yeah, you, you want to um, shift the focus of the content from messaging to better storytelling. That's mm -hmm. what you want to do on your social media channels. Yeah, 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 I agree. And, um, you know, again, uh, if you're in the attractions industry, often it sells itself. You don't need to spoon feed uh, that you're selling tickets or selling season passes. They know. So what's going on there? Why, why, why is this top of mind? Why is this interesting? Why is me, Jimmy, the 15-year-old, why, why is that of interest to me? Because I know that in order to go and see the Harlem Globetrotters, I got to buy a ticket or I got to buy a season pass. You know, but it keeps it short and concise and keeps my attention. Okay. So, uh, so shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, one thing that, uh, that I've noticed over it, cause, uh, you know, I've dabbled in some PR stuff. Uh, I feel like even in my time, um, working in PR, uh, it seems like the, uh, the newsrooms are shrinking. Have you, have you noticed that? Yeah, they are shrinking. Uh, there's less people there that you can feed your information to. Uh, so it's a very crowded Lineup. Everybody's, you know, submitting things to these news stations. There's only so many people there now uh, to sift through it all. So that's where the um, the brand journalism approach to your PR and social media efforts comes into play. Um, you know, instead of begging the media all the time to cover you, and sometimes you have things that are, you know, happening every weekend or something, and eventually they get tired of hearing from you anyway. Uh, so the best way to get your stories heard in today's world, uh, the way it is with the shrinking newsrooms, is uh, to become the media yourself. You know, become your own media outlet. Now, sometimes you'll hear, you know, some PR and marketing people will say, well, we already are the media ourselves. We have a website. We have email. We have social media. 
that's marketing. That's messaging what most of the you're going to see on a website. Uh, it's not storytelling, which is what brand journalism is. So what you want to do if you're um, a PR person or social media person is you want to cover your your brand, you know, your park, your attraction, as if you were a journalist assigned to cover that. And that way you tell your own story. You want to be curious. You want to go out. You want to walk around the park. You want to find the stories. Um, you know, some of them are ones the media would do. There's some that they wouldn't do, but your audience, your guests, you know, they would love to hear those kind of stories, the behind the scenes stories, the first looks, those kind of things. And that's what brand journalism is, is just covering uh, yourself like you're a member of the media. You don't have to beg anymore. I mean, there's so many uh, distribution channels now. There's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, you know, those things, you know, weren't around, you know, several years ago. But they're there now for you to be able to tell your story, share your story, so you don't have to rely on the media uh, to, to communicate what's going on. Uh, but the other thing you want to do, though, is and with Brandra, it's not about the social media piece of it as much. Um, that's what I call rented land. You want to get people off rented land to the property you own, which is your website. But within your website, you want to create either a blog or a newsroom, and that's where these stories live. Uh, you want to drive traffic to your website. Now, when you have traffic to your website, you have the opportunity then to sell the passes, uh, sell tickets, let people see the other upcoming events. Once they're there, they're going to move around. But a lot of times from social media, they're on to the next thing in their scroll. So you don't want to be reliant. You need it, but you don't want to be reliant on it. Uh, just like you don't have to be reliant on the news media today to get people to know what you're doing at your park. You can use that brand journalism approach uh, to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. I think that you gave me uh, a couple years ago. You you had an interesting thought that you told me that um, really kind of uh, if if you want to summarize your job or anybody that's in a similar position is you uh, everything you do is just uh, a road sign to the website because the website's what sells tickets. You could argue the mobile app too, I guess, because that's become a little bit more prevalent for for selling tickets and stuff. But uh, there's two things. I mean, first of all, if you direct people to the website then that's where you sell stuff. But let's, you know, simple as that. But secondly, um, if it's your story, you control the narrative. You kind of hit on that. You know, if you, uh, yeah. yeah, if you're if you're uh, building a new ride and you're talking about how exciting it is and how people are going to love it, they're just going to run with that. It's not going to be, you know, we were building a new ride, but people kind of wanted something else or, or whatever, you know. Again, you you control the narrative. So it's, it's your story. And, you know, with shrinking newsrooms, you're kind of doing the job for them. I think you might have actually said this exact word. So the easier you can make their jobs, the more likely they are to work with you. You know, would you yeah, agree with that? Yeah, you don't have to write a novel with, with, with your, you know, your blogs and the stories you're putting on your website and your newsroom or blog. Um, you know, they can be two or three paragraphs. They can be a lot longer in length. But you have to look at, you know, what would be placed in a, in a, uh, a newspaper today you know what would be placed in a magazine that's how you have to do it but you do it yourself uh you do it better than yeah. uh than what the media can do because they're going to pick and choose what they're going to include in the story if you send them you know a release or whatever but this way you tell the story your words um you know it's your expertise and then if you're frequent enough with it you start to develop people who will come to your blog or your newsroom regularly they'll bookmark the page right. they'll check it out every morning but you have to be consistent and you have to give them um, you know, interesting stories. You can't make your blog or your newsroom, um, you know, about products and, you know, trying to pitch people. That's the key to brand journalism. It's not about pitching, you know, it, it's about telling stories. 
And once you tell these stories and people, you know, they become, you know, interested in what's going on, you know, you, you're going to rekindle memories, you know, if it's something that uh, past attraction or maybe it's something that's brand new, but you get people excited, you get them remembering when they went to this place and they want to go again. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but the cool part is you can make the, the, the website part of the experience, you know, uh, in February, you can't go to, uh, you know, you can't go to Six Flags Great Adventure, but if you go to their website, they might have a blog about, uh, you know, something that's coming up in the summer or something that's going on now, uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff, like you mentioned. Um, I want to backpedal just a bit. Uh, you mentioned that um, there's a lot of confusion, especially internally in some cases where people think, well, you know, the brand journalism is the website, it's a Twitter, but it's not. That's content marketing. Can you can you uh, just clarify the, the difference between the two from from an industry standpoint? Well, there's a strategy to both. I mean, you're trying to reach certain markets, certain demographics. Um, it's, it's very similar to a marketing campaign, um, but it's taken a more of a journalistic uh, storytelling approach uh, way of doing it. That's the difference really between the two. You're just shifting that focus of the content from messaging to better storytelling. Oh, yeah. So, um, I mean, what are, what are some of the fundamentals that are necessary for adopting a uh, like a brand journalism approach as opposed to a, just a typical content marketing approach? You know, the first thing, you know, you hear a lot of times is I've already got enough on my plate. I can't do this. Um, mm -hmm. Brand journalism isn't about doing more. In some ways, it's actually doing less, but doing it better. Mm -hmm. uh, it's doing a better job of telling your stories uh, with it. But uh, you get to tell the story your way. Um, you know, you control the message uh, that's that's there. I think you mentioned that uh, the content it's shareable, um, it's discoverable. You know, with SEO today, you you know, you write it the right way. Uh, something you wrote two or three years ago is going to come up in searches, and it's going to help you drive traffic uh, to your website and selling tickets and passes. You know, today something again that's two or three years old, so it it has a longer term use uh, than just sending out uh, you know a tweet or something on Facebook or even a press release uh, with that. Um, you know, but the big thing too is don't PR the content. You know, with a blog or or a newsroom, when you're trying to do storytelling, don't PR the content. Um, you're not going to see that. You know, if you were a journalist writing for a publication, you're going to tell the story a certain way. Use that same approach uh, as part of the fundamentals of of creating a, a blog or a newsroom that people are going to want to come back to and read over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I completely agree with that. Um, so. You know, you, you kind of touched on that, you know, sometimes, you know, a story in the past will get dug up and um, it's less that benefits more if it's done correctly. But um, what else do you have to gain from brand journalism over typical content marketing? You're going to increase your web traffic, number one, uh, with it. Um, you know, you're, you're going to attract more and better media coverage if you do it right with uh, brand journalism. Um you're going to get more people to discover your stories uh, by doing a brand journalism approach than if you just pop something out there on Facebook, Twitter. Um, you know, so really, I mean, there's so many different advantages of it of becoming a journalism for you know a journalist for uh, you know for your brand. You just take that approach, but you got to be curious. You got to get out. You got to walk around. You got to talk to people, and you got to find these stories. They're not going to fall on your lap either. So there's a little bit involved there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you buy a hundred acres of land, you're not going to find gold unless you you know, throw a shovel into the ground, right? Right. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, you do get to develop a following and people look forward to it. They'll bookmark the page. Uh, they'll come to your website uh, without being 
provoked. You know, they're not seeing something else somewhere that's driving that traffic there. They're coming there unsolicited. And that's what you want. You know, so eventually you're not going to be as reliant on social media. You're not going to be as reliant on press release. You're not going to be as reliant on email uh, to be able to get people to come to your website and find out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, you know, speaking of which, we've talked a lot about like, you know, developing a following and, you know, the different aspects of it and how it differs, differs from PR and content marketing and so on. Who would you say, give me like maybe a top five of the best brands in no particular order uh, that do really good content marketing, like top of your head? Well, I think, you know, when you're talking about the brand journalism approach to it, uh, you know, Disney Parks comes to mind. Uh, you know, they've got lots and lots of contributors and they're posting sometimes five, six, seven stories a day. They do not need uh, to, to get their stories anywhere out there. They don't need the earned media. They don't need any of those kind of things. You know, everything that you need to know about what's happening at Disney Parks uh, is right there on their blog. I think Coca-Cola, they do a good job uh, with, with brand journalism taking that approach the, uh, Lowe's, the nostalgia with coca-cola yeah they're yeah, very good lowe's at that is, yeah I, I like what lowe's does so i mean those are mm. the three that you know come to mind um that you look at and you know they're they're doing it well yeah absolutely um okay so any final thoughts about uh the brand journalism do you have do you have any let's say let's put it this way let's uh if somebody is 22 23 year old recent college graduate um they want to do what you do uh, give me no more than two sentence advice. Well, it all comes down again to being able to write well and being able to write brief, but you also want to look at your job as being a journalist for the brand that you're going to be working for. A little bit more than two sentences, but very good advice, Don. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, so, um, do you want to move into the news now, or do you, do you have any more thoughts before we do that? You know, Ryan, I talked about the technologies different that everyone has to to learn and master today. You know, you you go to parks as a as a guest and everything. How has that technology uh, changed your behavior at a park? How do you use this? You know, to consume information, to maybe navigate a park. Um, you know, what's changed for you over the last twenty years that you've been going to parks? Oh, that that's some very good questions. Um, so for me, I'm a huge advocate of mobile apps. I love how you have a computer in your pocket and the computer can do almost anything, you know? Um, so I think that park mobile apps are uh, really, really leaning into the future and it's really going to be, um, it's going to be one of those things where the mobile app is part of the experience uh, as much as anything else. Um you know, if you want to use an example of uh, of Disney World, how you, the mobile app is the My Disney Experience, uh, which I think is either affiliated with Genie Plus now or was replaced by Genie Plus. But you order your food, you um, you you queue up the lines, you know the show times and stuff. So uh, you don't have to look for anything because it's right in your pocket. It's it's an information piece that's right in your pocket. Um, I really like the idea of like the mobile wayfinders too. Um, that's business at David's and I've learned quite a bit about that in you know, the past five or six years because um, you've got dynamic things changing. One thing that that always bothers me, and it's a weird pet peeve, but if I see a billboard for the Garth Brooks concert that was in Cincinnati two weeks ago now, I think that's so um, I think that's so like passe, 
I think that's so, you know, so uh, the fact that it's like, oh, tonight there's a concert in our venue or, or, you know, hey, bring a friend free this coming weekend. It's very dynamic, you know, so the ways that uh, you're communicated with are, uh, are have changed greatly, you know, and then from a guest experience, uh, you get the latest information. Uh, you're you're more educated and you have a better experience as a result of that. Uh, and from a, a park standpoint, you, you, I mean, once again, control the narrative and uh, you have a greater way of communicating with the guests that are already on your land right now. Do you have any thoughts about what, that? Yeah. What, what channel for you is the most important in terms of, you know, finding out what's happening at a park? I mean, you know, whether it's Facebook, is it Twitter? Is it the mobile app? I mean, what's your number one source that you go to to find out information? Um, I guess theoretically it would be the mobile app. Um, when I visit a park, um, I, you know, often they have ride wait times and show times, which are the two biggest things. Um, uh, so I check the mobile app. But as far as like dynamic information, I typically go to Twitter, I guess, because it seems like parks in general are more active on there as far as right now information. Uh, I prefer the formatting of Facebook, but um, it seems like parks, as you put PR up Facebook a little bit, so you have to dig a little bit further for the information. So if I'm if I'm at Dollywood and it's raining and I'm afraid they're going to close the park early or I think they might close the park early, I check Twitter because that's where they're going to put that. Okay. Cool. Ready to talk about uh, some industry news that's uh, been happening over the last week or so? Oh yeah, it's uh, the news is yeah, it never stops, does it, Don? Why don't you Why don't you take the first story? All right, uh, new. It's called Bombs Away. It's a water slide attraction that debuted at Wet and Wild Emerald Point in Greensboro, North Carolina. I used to live there. Mm-hmm. wasn't there at the time when I was there. But uh, when guests step into one of the two slides, the floor drops. It sends the riders down a thrilling ride. You know, I love this kind of water attraction. Uh, what about you, Ryan? Is this up your alley? Uh, yeah, I like it because I did it once, so I broke my fear. But if any, the scariest part is watching people drop. They're there, and then they're not there. So uh, it's definitely people pleasers. Um, how many of these have you done, Don? I've done three different types, three different places. Yeah, I've done I've done three as well. Um, I think that they're they're. It's, I think it's cool because with the water slide, you close your eyes and you imagine a tube or a body slide or something, and this is different, and you really take it at full speed. It looks like the one in um, Greensboro is a little bit, uh, it's not as complex. One of them has a big turn, and then the other one is more straight down, but I don't want to disparage it. I'm not saying it's bad because sometimes simpler is way better, and it might be way more thrilling to just take a big, wide turn or drop directly down um, as opposed to going through a bunch of different turns and stuff. So the thing yeah. I like about it, yeah, you know, what I really like about uh, these kind of water slides is, no matter how many times you do it, it's not the same experience twice. And there's no way, even though you know that floor is about to drop, there's no way you can prepare for that when it actually happens. So, uh, I mean, the thrill—you never gets boring. The thrill is always going to be there. Yeah, I would say that more people chicken out on uh, the capsule droppers than do on major roller coasters. Because you you see it and it it looks bad, but not that bad from the ground. And you get up there and people are dropping in, and they're like, "Nope." I think every time I ride one, at least two people chicken out while I'm in line. So I think that's uh, if you're going for high thrill, but you want to do water park, that's such a great route to go. So I hope they have uh, a really successful season. It seems like um, you know across the industry, 
uh, attendance and stuff like that is is doing very well. So hopefully this is a real shot in the arm for that park because you know if it wasn't there when you were there and that was 15 years ago, it's relatively newer park. So so good for that. Yeah, awesome. So um, so we're we're seeing reports that uh, the new Guardians of the Galaxy uh coaster at Walt Disney World is getting people sick. Uh, it might be the spinning action or the Florida heat, but uh, so Fox Five New York said. Since early previews started for the ride, lots of guests have complained about getting motion sickness after experiencing it, and this issue seems to have continued into the ride's official opening. This is coming from them quoting Inside the Magic. Uh, Epco Epcot staff are reportedly handing out barf bags to nauseated riders. The screen-based ride rotates 360 degrees and launches in reverse. It is attracting big crowds and rave reviews from many fans on Twitter since it opened on Friday. So, Don, do you get sick from rides? There are some, yeah. Uh, you know, the, and as you get older, the spinning rides, uh, you know, make you feel that way. Um, my daughter and her fiance there at uh, Disney World, as we do this podcast, and uh, you know, she said it was a you know phenomenal attraction, one of the best that uh, she's ever uh, experienced. Uh, she did warn me. She said, "But for you, Dad," she said, "I don't know if you'd be able to handle the spinning, you know, aspect of it. Uh, you know, you might feel a little sick." I, I think. You know, some of this gets overblown a little bit because it's the world we live in today with social media where you might not have seen that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, those kind of stories. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, what your body can handle. And I don't think it's any different than riding any other kind of spin ride uh, that's out there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Do you, would you, um, if, if you were in charge of, um, you know, choosing the rides for Disney World, would you take the heat into consideration? Because, I, I've never really gotten sick from a ride before, but I feel like if it was 100 degrees and humid like it is often in Orlando, um, that may be a contributing factor. I mean, if you're dehydrated anyway or something. I mean, does that matter, do you think? You know, I, I don't know that it would happen like that. I mean, you would see that on other rides if it was heat-related that they have there. Um, you know, even rides like the Dumbo attraction, you know, that uh, you know people do feel a little nauseous sometimes when they're going round and round like that. Um, so I don't know that the heat's so much uh, a big thing, but I think too, the more that people hear about that kind of, you know, thing happening or whatever, it puts something in, you know, in your mind, you start to think about it. I go through there. My, my thought exactly. But my thought is people don't know it's a spinning coaster. And then, yeah. um, if they know that they can't handle that sort of thing, they may just be inclined not to ride it, but they don't know right. that going in. So um, I think we can agree I, that I would ride it though. I mean, I would do it, even though I know that, you know, I don't handle those kind of rides as well anymore. I would still want to experience that. Um, you know, so I don't put too much you know, stock in those kind right. of stories. Well, it also, know, look, it, right it's, about a, it. it's also not a scrambler. It doesn't spin the whole time. So right. I, I, I really think that it's just people that can't take much of a spinning action. And when you have, you know, tens of thousands of people riding every day, eventually you're going to, um, you're going to have a couple dozen that get sick from it. You know, just statistically yeah, I mean, speaking, up right there where it says that's going to happen, and you know, the more people you have riding it, the more it's going to happen. Yeah, so uh, I guess we're kind of agreeing that it'll probably solve itself, really. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Ryan, the new Walt Disney World store is now open on International Drive, bringing merchandise and ticket sales to the tourist corridor. I think this is uh, a long time coming. I know Disney fans like the shop. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, and it's kind of an interesting take because they closed their many of their retail locations. I, I think all of them except for the outlets. Um, according to Attractions Magazine, in a first for Disney, the shop also features an interactive Disney Vacation Club virtual discovery station 
where visitors can explore Disney theme parks, resorts, and Disney Cruise Line destinations across the world via floor-to-floor ce- ceiling screens. Before we say anything, that's cool. That's really neat. It is. You know? It is. Uniquely Disney. Um, so, I, I mean, do you... Obviously, people that are down there don't need to know about Disney because they're there for Disney. You know, even if they're there for Orlando, or I'm sorry, for Universal, they're, or, you know, Universal's there because of Disney. Um, I would say that this is likely a draw in for the Vacation Club, the DVC. What are your thoughts on that? I can see that. Yeah, I would agree with you at that point. Uh, but, you know, in terms of, you know, you mentioned people going down there, they don't really need to know about it. I think if you're a fan of anything, you know, Disney or whatever parks, um, you know, you want to consume as much information and as many experiences as you can. So, um, you know, I think no matter, you know, whether you're there, you're a super fan, you go, you know, 50 times a year, I think it's something that you want to, you want to see, you can't get enough of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there, I know so many people that are just obsessed with it and they want everything Disney. Uh, let me ask you this though. So along I drive, it seems like it's less now. It was a bigger problem in the 80s and 90s. There were a lot of shops that sold Walt Disney World stuff that was clearly not authentic. Um, and they would sell discounted tickets, which I'm not exactly sure how that system works. If they purchased them from Disney and then just took a, a hit to draw people in or, or whatever. Um, do you think this helps or hurts? Because my, my, I'm kind of torn because part of me thinks that... Um, you know, it's that's not the real Disney store. That's the real Disney store. And in, in one, on one hand, but on the other hand, if they've got a presence on iDrive, it almost adds legitimacy too. What What are your thoughts on that? It does add legit, uh, legitimacy to it, and uh, you know, all the different places out there, you're going to want to go to the one that's run and operated by Disney. Do you think that people will be able to make the distinction on the outside? Yeah, I do. I think they will be able to. I mean, you can definitely tell which ones, you know have a Disney collection of things that they're selling uh, and which ones are operated by Disney. I mean, you can certainly tell, you know, when a brand is involved in something and when they're not. Well, especially Disney is a brand, you know, yeah. uh, some of them are going to be Kmart selling $3 beach towels. And some of them are going to have uh, ceiling to floor projections talking about Disney vacation club. I don't think it'll be easily replicated. I think some will be full. They won't know the difference. Uh, but I think that might be such a small diminished fraction that it doesn't really. No. And I think also when you're planning a visit there, you know, you're going to research what else there is to do Mm -hmm. around there. And, you know, you're going to come across that. You're going to put that on your, on your bucket list to go do. Now it's, it's been no secret, uh, that Disney's goal has always been to keep you on property. Do you think that this diminishes that or is damaging to that at all? No, I don't think so. I just think it's just another opportunity, uh, you know, for Disney fans to, you know, shop. And uh, it's another opportunity for them to, you know, have themselves in front of people. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. If you're, going, if you're going down, I mean, you can't beat impressions, right? Yeah, of course. Um, now, I mean, uh, my, my main thought with that is um, you're not going to get somebody in there where it's like, oh, what's this Walt Disney World that I'm hearing so much about? Like, nobody's that dumb, you know. But at the same time, you know, if they're selling, if they see that as an opportunity to sell DVC, we're down here, we're having a great time, we want to make this a thing. Uh, I think that's a huge opportunity. Uh, there's a lot of real estate on International Drive. International Drive is is very busy all the time, um, and it caters directly towards the tourist. So um, I think it's a win for them. 
yeah, it just enhances, you know, your experience during your stay, just different things that you can do. Yeah, absolutely. So hats off to Disney, I guess, uh, in November when we're down there for the IAPA convention, we'll have to check it out, you know? So on to one of my uh, favorite seasonal parks, Kennywood. So they removed the kangaroo. People got mad and they brought it back. How cool is that? You know, very cool. I'm a big fan of the old classic attractions, you know, rides that have been there forever. You always hate to see them uh, be retired. Sometimes you have to because they just, you know, reach the end of the line. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's always a place uh, for those kind of classic attractions. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I haven't been to Kennywood in a long time, uh, and I but I did ride the kangaroo, and it was very interesting. There, there's something about those older rides that um, that really kind of get to you because it seems like maybe some of the new ones are almost a little nerfed. Um, the old ones are, you know, it relies solely on the laws of physics, and the, the kangaroo was was one of them. So I'm so glad it's back. I'm so glad that they didn't um, scrap it or anything like that. I, I don't what I don't know is if this was the plan, because this would be kind of a brilliant plan to uh, announce that it's going away, take it away and then give it back. And then you're the good guy again because they took a year to refurbish it. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I mean, attractions like that, uh, what's great about their multi-generational. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, people when they were a kid, they wrote it and then, you know, their their parents took them on it. And then now they're taking their kids and their grandkids and things on it. Um, so that's what, you know, really makes those kind of, uh, you know, rides great and a part of the fabric of the park that they're in. It's just that they're multi-generational and I don't know what their, you know, their plan was when they removed it, if they were bringing it back, if they were just repairing it, you know, I don't know about that, but I'm just glad to see that it's back. And, you know, obviously a lot of longtime visitors to that park are too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Ryan. We've seen a theater production become movies and vice versa, but we've not seen a ride become a theater production until now uh, with Kings Island opening a new live stage show, Phantom Theater Encore, which pays tribute to the former Phantom Theater ride, uh, which operated at Kings Island from 1992 to 2002. Have you seen the show? And if so, what are your thoughts? I've seen it twice. Um, so Phantom Theater is very nostalgic for me. That was the dark ride at uh, my local park when when I was growing up, and I cannot believe that uh, they, they're they're doing this. I think that's so neat. Like uh, if it was my decision, I'd be like, yeah, pe-. you know, that was twenty years ago. People probably don't remember it, and you're catering to people. No, they they went for it, and it's packing people in, and it's funny. And it's uh, it's not exactly scary, but it's got it's spooky with some elements. It's beautifully done. It uses props from the old ride. It's got throwbacks. It's got li- little jabs and insults to the current ride that's there. It's everything I wanted for it. Um, so, Don, what do you think of it? I thought you know your thoughts. It was I agree with it. You know, very very well done. Uh, the costumes are amazing. Uh, does rekindle memories of the ride. You know, you talked about people not remembering the ride because of how long ago it was, you know, 2002 since it last operated. Uh, But that's the beauty of things like YouTube is a lot of these old attractions, um, you know, they live there. and People go and watch it. Uh, You know, they're 10, 11, 12, 15 years old. They're watching these old rides that, that, you know, parks had. Um, You know, it's like seeing the Brady Bunch, you know, kids today, 
they weren't around when the Brady Bunch launched, but because it's in syndication, you know, they know every episode today, you know, the, the 15, 16, 17 year old. Um, so it's still relevant today. So even though they might not have experienced the ride, they know the ride, they're aware of the ride and they're able to connect with it at a, you know, when they go in and watch the show, even though they never experienced the ride, they're still able to make that connection with the characters and, and the props and things like that. Cause they've, they've watched it over and over again on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's, what's really funny is, um, going completely counter to my original intuition, um, some of the people that I've spoken to that are most excited about it never rode the ride. They just heard about the legend behind it and stuff and how well done it was. And they've seen, like you said, YouTube videos and pictures and stuff. And they're loyal to that show. And I, I just think that's the coolest thing ever. So um, we've seen rides become movies. We've seen movies become rides. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen a live show become a ride yet. Maybe that could be the next one. But uh a, a a ride becoming a live show is that oof, that's so unique and I, I i could not be happier about it i'm so excited so if it's uh if you have the means go see it it's so so fun uh you mentioned the costumes by the way i don't, I don't want to breeze over that that was what surprised me the most i was concerned with how do we make people look like animatronics and not make it look stupid they pulled it off you can, and somebody that's very familiar with the ride that knew all the characters in it and stuff, because for those of you who don't know, Phantom Theater had its own lore. It had its own characters and its own backstory and so on. But these human beings dressed up as these characters, I knew exactly which character they were supposed to be. That's how well done it is. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, see it once, see it twice, come back and see it again. It's, I, I hope they do it again someday. You know, I hope they, they make more dark rides into live shows in the future. Yeah, really, really well done. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, do you have any final thoughts, Don? No, uh, this was fun, and uh, you know, I look forward to, to to working with you and David on these podcasts. And um, you know, we hope everybody that uh, tuned into this one, you know, they enjoyed our conversation. And Ryan, want to tell them where they can find us? Yeah, so you can find us on all of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for the Attractions Group Podcast. Uh, or on YouTube, search for the Attractions Group podcast and you can subscribe. Um, for those of you who subscribe to my hastily made trailer that I needed to make in order to be registered with Apple and all the different things, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, we've got a ton of downloads on that. So I, I really appreciate the early support and the the faith in Don and the um, tolerance of me. So thank you so much for that. Uh, if you guys could help spread the word and um, you know share it on your social media, it would mean the world to us. So this is just a uh, a project that, uh, as Don said, we're giving back to the industry that's been so good to us. Yeah, and consider these first several podcasts kind of like test pilots for us, uh, for us to get a you know a little bit of a feel for working with each other. We've never done it, uh, you know, worked together before, so that takes a little bit of time to get that uh, you know that cadence and that chemistry down. So uh, the first five or six, you know, we're just going to be uh, we're going to consider them test pilots. Absolutely, and then for. Uh, you know, if you um, uh, if you want to uh, comment, uh, leave, leave reviews. Uh, five star reviews would be very helpful for getting our podcast up. But if you want to reach out to us, our Twitter handles are on the screen. Mine is at Ryan Sir R Y A N S U H R. That's S U H R. I always have to repeat that R Y A N S U H R. And then Don Helbig's is way easier at Don Helbig. Obviously, all one word and nothing in between. Uh, and if you have any feedback, uh, positive or negative, absolutely let us know. Uh, again, we're playing with the format. Um, 
So we we really we really greatly appreciate it. Um, as Don said, the first several are going to be uh, us playing with the format. Uh, we we intend to be in full swing at or before November. So we want to we're going to do some big stuff for the IAPA convention. Um, so we're we're going to be at hundred percent by then. So again, thanks for bearing with us. If you could spread the word, it would be fantastic. Thank you so much. All right. So that's our show. So this was episode one of the Attractions Group podcast, and you made it to the end. Thank you so much. So this is Ryan Sir with my colleague Don Helbig signing off.